Hello everybody and welcome back to the Chelsea Overseas Podcast. Today we will recap Chelsea's games against Crystal Palace and Arsenal and look ahead to the upcoming games against West Ham and Man United. So with that said, let's get right into it. First, let's talk about the Chelsea vs Crystal Palace game. What were your thoughts on the match? What changed in the second half? Obviously it was a 2-0 victory. Uh, what are your thoughts, Adam? Yeah, so Chelsea advanced to another FA Cup final, their third in a row. And so that's a, a pretty nice stat. Hopefully this one we can actually win. But in terms of the semifinal against Palace, it was a tough game. I felt Palace were, were really good in the first half and defensively made it difficult for Chelsea. And especially the the pressure on Chelsea's midfield and Jorginho in particular, who was taking five minutes to, to move the ball and Thomas Tuchel was quite animated. But... Yeah, I felt their pressure on Chelsea's midfield was was good. They were very difficult to break down. I don't know if Chelsea expected Crystal Palace to start with the back five. I didn't. They usually play in the back four. Um, so maybe it, was, it wasn't the shape that Thomas Tuchel expected. And it was difficult for Chelsea to find uh, chances to create in the attacking third against Crystal Palace. Crystal Palace wasn't really able to create much themselves. I felt Chelsea were quite comfortable defensively, and it was quite a stale game in the first half. I felt the second half, that's when it opened up. Crystal Palace dropped into more of a low block, and Chelsea's midfield had more time to dictate things, and I felt Loftus-Cheek, Mason Mount, Jorginho were able to run the show a bit in the second half, and Thomas Tuchel just overloaded those midfield areas a bit more with Loftus-Cheek and Mason Mount in the second half. And that started to cause um, issues for, for Crystal Palace and their two holding midfielders. And then it was one of those games where you take one half chance and then the floodgates open and the game starts to become a bit easier. You have a bit more momentum and, and confidence in your play. And I think you really saw that with Chelsea that the second half I sensed Crystal Palace had no out ball. Chelsea were pressing really hard when they lost it and they were make it, making it quite difficult for Palace who had then, like I said, just dropped into a low block and it was really a matter of time. And once Chelsea got that first goal, everything just came a bit easier and the game opened up for them. Have you noticed that Mason Mount has pr improved a lot better after your... Uh... He continues, I shouldn't say improves, he continues to play incredibly after your criticism, to say the least. Yeah, yeah, I guess, I guess so, I guess so. It really does work. It does, it does. I, I gotta, I gotta start calling out more of these players, but <laughs> yeah, no, again, it was, it was a really well taken goal from, from Mason Mount. Um, again, Timo Werner did really well on that left-hand side, picked up a little bit of an assist there, but it was a good first touch, a really nice finish. I really like Timo Werner as well. Sorry. Yeah, yeah, no, and uh, Timo's in a bit of form. It's very hard to leave him out right now. And Mason Mount uh, is extremely reliable, and his goal tally and assist tally and end product in the final third all year has been uh, a little bit of an improvement from last year, and full credit to him for that. Yes, very much so. He's been he's been great, especially recently. What have you made of Loftus Cheek's season? It's been an interesting one. I think I think it's credit to Tuchel for giving him opportunities. 
Um, I think Tuchel sees the ability that Loftus Cheek has. I think we all see it. It's just the people, like the Chelsea fans that have watched Loftus Cheek um, in his young career, have seen the player that he can be. And I remember under Maurizio Sarri in 2018-2019, the impact that he had was really, really good. And then he had the the big injury, which sent him back. And I think with him, I think there's a lot of confidence issues. And I think he has all the talent in the world, and I see him fitting in the team as someone playing in kind of that midfield pivot or as more of a number eight. I see him in those positions, and I think he is a really good player in possession and uh, someone... It could be really hard to deal with him defensively too because some of the strength and his physical abilities on the ball, yes. it can be really difficult, right? And He's a very strong player. Yeah, and I don't, I don't know if the confidence is totally there for, for, for him week in, week out. And I think that needs to come because he's kind of at that age where he's not really a young player anymore. And now we need to see it more on a consistent basis because I don't think anyone doubts the ability he has. It's whether he's going to have the confidence in himself to deliver it week in, week out. And I think that's what he struggled with this year, especially coming back from a big injury. And it's been, I don't think it's been a great season from him, but, you know, full credit to Tuco for giving him opportunities. And I'm happy he he scored a goal here. And I could see it meant a lot to him. What are your thoughts on uh, playing Liverpool in the FA Cup final? Yeah, it'll be, well, a little bit of a revenge, hopefully, for the League Cup final. Liverpool are the best team in the world right now. No doubt about it. They destroyed City. They're they're coming to take the Premier League soon. Yeah, and, you know, this is reminding me a bit of 2019-2020 Liverpool, which is just outrageously scary for everyone. And it'll it'll be a good game. I think it actually suits Chelsea a bit, Liverpool. And I think in the three games that we've played them, we've done really well in all of them. Just got it. The, the problem with Liverpool is they're the most clinical team in the final third and they don't need the highest XG. They don't need the most situations to punish you. And that's that's the problem because Chelsea are the opposite. <laughs> they could have 6, 6.0 XG and they'll probably finish with two or three goals. And that that's been the problem when we've played Liverpool, taking our chances because I feel with Liverpool's high line, we have the players like Mason Mount, like Mateo Kovacic to break those, br- break the lines and then find Kai Havertz, Timo Werner in behind and really hurt Liverpool. But then you got to finish your chances. So I think it'll be a good game, a very good game. But the way Liverpool are playing right now and that those players in forward areas and, you know, Thiago looks like a kid in a candy shop right now. And it's it's scary stuff. So it'll be a good game, but it'll be a tough one. I got to ask, just a little sidetrack. Uh, who do you think is a better manager at the moment, Pep or Klopp? I find Pep Guardiola fascinating in terms of the way he's kind of developed the game too. And you see even in this team and 
it seems like everyone is playing with Barcel- the old Barcelona as well. Yeah, and and Pep is really, in terms of you look at the Barcelona's teams playing out from the back, the movement of the fullbacks and the high positions that they take up. Look at his Manchester City team and the the way the fullbacks kind of go inverted and into midfield. And now the different rotation between the false nine. I swear Ederson's going to play there eventually, I'm convinced. (laughs) (laughs) But so it seems like Pep is so creative and the way he sets up teams, which it makes them absolutely fascinating. But what Jurgen Klopp has done with Liverpool and you look at the net spend of Liverpool compared to the net spend of Manchester City and Manchester United and even Chelsea... It is just incredible what he has built with not the same resources and money as Manchester City. It is simply, simply incredible. And I have to say, for me, what Liverpool has done, what Klopp has done at Liverpool, for me is a bit more impressive than what Pep has done at City. And both are extremely impressive. It's the two, like two of the greatest teams in Premier League history. But I have to say what Klopp has done is simply just out of this world. Oh, I also heard one other thing. I know you had mentioned Jorginho, and I heard that there's a, there might be a transfer rumor. It's not looking like he, he will be staying on the club. Yeah, with Jorginho, I think, well, I think it all depends if Chelsea bring in a Declan Rice or an Arlen Tushemi. It all depends on the the player, if they're able to bring in a number six. What about a Gallagher? Gallagher is more of an eight. I think they're definitely going to bring him back. I think you need the true number six. And, you know, I've said so many times how much I like Declan Rice. Um, you look at Tushemi too, is another one playing with Monaco and Liga. So I think it all depends. Is it, if Chelsea's able to bring someone in, then I could see a route for Jorginho to leave. If no one comes in, then Chelsea better keep him. Yeah. Would you rather lose him or another midfielder? And if so, who? Out of Kante, Kovacic, and Jorginho, I think he's the one that would leave. Yeah. I think we can agree on that. Um, Let's talk about the Chelsea versus Arsenal game. What went right? I mean, what went wrong? Poor defending? Individual errors? Yeah, essentially. I mean, I felt Chelsea started the game well. I was quite happy with the start up until Christensen decided to make not the greatest of errors. But I I think Chelsea, like we talked about pressing Arsenal and putting a lot of pressure on their back line in midfield. I felt they started that way and it looked quite good. And then it was just about creating opportunities in the final third and uh, making Aaron Ramsdale work a bit. But Aaron Ramsdale always works in every game he plays. He's always working. And then he's yelling at nobody. Yeah. A little bit of a Jordan Pickford yelling at yeah. people. But, <laughs> but um, I think, yeah, the, the start was, was good. And then the defensive error kind of turns the game on its head a bit. And then I felt, yeah, defensively it was poor from Chelsea. And even in the first half when... You know, you look at the second goal Arsenal scored and it's not the greatest defending in transition from Chelsea where I felt Alonso struggled a lot with Bakao Saka and then even just Loftus-Cheek, I don't think, checks over his shoulder and sees the run of Emil Smith-Rowe and, you know, those kind of in transitional moments, those late runs 
from midfielders from deeper positions. You, as a midfielder like Loftus Cheek, you have to be aware of Smith Rowe, who's making that late run uh, to the top of the 18 yard box, and Chelsea don't pick it up. I felt, you know, there were some good things in the first half, like I said. I felt they pressed Arsenal pretty well at times. Um, they did quite well to to score a few goals. The second, you know, the first one was a bit lucky, but the second one was a really good ball for Mason Mount. Cesar Aspilicueta thinks he's the next Cristiano Ronaldo, but <laughs> but it was... Yeah, there were some good elements to it. I think the individual errors and the and defensively in transitional moments it was not Chelsea and and then the second half it was even worse where I felt they lost a bit of intensity in their press and then you know Aspilicueta makes an error. The game like I felt in the, at the start of the second half the game is pretty like nothing much was happening. Chelsea were having most of the ball, but they they lost a bit of intensity in their press, so it was, the game was a bit dull. And then Aspilicueta makes an error. Malengsar can't clear his lines, and it's 3-2. And then all of a sudden, Arsenal are comfortable. They sit in their low block. Chelsea struggle to break them down. Then they bring on Martinelli, and they are able to hurt Chelsea more in transition. Malengsar was really poor in that second half, yeah, I Yeah, I was going to say, even with the Christensen mistake, I still think the... Uh... Not even the second half. I think the whole game, it was it was poor defending from... Yeah, and so I don't think the second half was, was great at all from Chelsea. And I thought overall was not, not a good performance at all f- from Chelsea. What I think, though, it, and what pains me about it, and I think what pains every Chelsea fan, is that no, Arsenal didn't have to be at their best. You know, though that three goals are basically... Errors, you know, Christensen on the first, Sar and Aspilicueta on the third, and then on the fourth, Aspilicueta's manhandling Bakao Saka in the box and then complaining to the ref. I didn't touch him. Well, he kind of manhandled him. And so, yeah, it was a combination of poor defending and individual errors. And, yeah, you know, credit to Arsenal, they deserved it. But what pains me is that, you know, Arsenal didn't have to play the best football of their season to win the game. Yeah. By the way, I know I was... I was we had lost 2-0 in the uh, first leg, call it what you want, uh, of, the, of this Premier League. Both games, the, the away team won, but it seems as though Chelsea and Arsenal are even for this, uh, for this season in the Premier League at 3-3. Just a quick note, wanted to put it out there, Adam. We'll see even, but in terms of trophies... Within the last, uh, within the last week, how many games has Chelsea won? Yeah. Okay. I say we. I say we move on. I say. <laughs> All right. But let's talk about Tuchel a little with this game. Do you think Tuchel rotated the starting eleven too much in this match? Yeah. Well, I think he did. Immediately, what I saw in the starting lineup. Obviously, the first things that jumped out to me. Kai Havertz isn't playing ahead of Lukaku. Yeah. And we don't even have to get into that because it's the same story as usual this game. And immediately when Kai Havertz gets subbed on, you see the difference. And then Thiago Silva doesn't start. I was wondering, where were our defenders? 
Yeah, and Rudiger had a bit of an injury, and he's going to be out this weekend against West Ham also. But, okay, Malang Sarr goes in that position. I feel like especially you need Thiago Silva on the pitch yes. in that situation, right? And, you know, you could talk about rest and everything. Thiago Silva didn't play against Crystal Palace, so I don't understand why in a London derby, Kai Havertz and Thiago Silva, who are two of Chelsea's most key players at the moment and have been all season, why they're not in that 11, I, I simply don't understand. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. I, I think the defending for me, like the whole defending, defensive lineup, Kai Havertz is a clear mistake in my... I've always said Kai Havertz over over Lukaku. He He's such a great fit with Chelsea and he's so athletic, he's so young, he's energetic. But the what stood out to me this game in, with the starting eleven for Chelsea was the defenders. You, I know you mentioned Marcus Alonso earlier on the left wing, um, or left wing back, or sorry, the left was it left back or left wing back? I forget left wing back. Yeah, he was on the left wing back, but he couldn't keep up with Saka. He Saka was doing a fake body feint, cutting to the right, getting a beautiful cross in, too many times. On the right side, obviously Christensen with that mistake, but like at least have some experience. Not even talent experience on the uh, on the pitch in your defensive lineup. You need leaders back there, right? More than anything, and that's why Thiago Silva. I was wondering if not. I I, I now figured out that Rudiger was injured, but Thiago Silva very much should have been up there. So I think that was a poor starting eleven mistake. But I mean, it was against Arsenal, and not to credit my team, but Arsenal's good. So. Um, let's talk about Thomas Tuchel's uh, saying that the pitch at Stamford Bridge doesn't suit Chelsea. Uh, now, I love Thomas Tuchel, but I, I want to know, what, what do you think this means? <laughs> do you think this is a credible excuse? Well, I mean, if the pitch isn't great, then, you know, that's a problem. This is one of the biggest clubs in the world. I, I don't understand why... the. the this is a home game. The pitch should be to our liking yeah. and to Thomas Tuchel's liking. So if there's a problem there, the pitch maintenance people have to get that right. But at the same time, I mean, Thomas Tuchel said it was more about the first goal where Christian saying the ball bounces a bit weird. But the third and fourth goal that Arsenal scored, it's not because the pitch is like that. So... You know, I don't think it's a credible excuse. I think the individual errors are down to poor defending. And so I think it's down to what we talked about. I don't really think like, okay, if the pitch isn't great, sure, that needs to be rectified. But is that an excuse for Brentford, the loss against Brentford? Is that an excuse for all the goals we conceded here against Arsenal? Is that an excuse for the other Home, home draws defeats that we've had over the course of the year? I don't think so. I think there's bigger issues than, than the field. So I don't think it's a totally credible excuse. Maybe it's credible for the first goal that Arsenal scored, but it's not credible for the third and fourth. I agree. But I think to Thomas, you know, I, I really do think Thomas Tuchel knows that too. I think it was just something to say maybe. I feel like he he un hopefully he learns from the mistake. I think the mistake started with the starting lineup, really. Yeah, and maybe it's to take a bit of pressure off the players too, right? Yeah, yeah, I agree. But, uh, honestly, then yeah, maybe that is a smart, I guess, publicity stunt or a smart publicity move. But 
I think I think Thomas Tuchel knows the mistakes from that game, and he'll 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 do better for next time. And speaking of next time, let's move on to the Chelsea versus West Ham game. So West Ham have been pretty good this season, as we all all know. Um, what are your thoughts on t- uh, West Ham this season? Yes, I mean they're sitting in seventh now. I have to say, very impressed with West Ham again this year. David Moyes continues to be just nothing short of brilliant. And that team, really, really strong. And, you know, full credit to them because I think when some teams kind of outside the big six get into European competition, they kind of struggle because, you know, West Ham doesn't have the biggest of squads either. So they kind of struggle juggling Europa League, Premier League, right? And, And then the cup competitions. West Ham have dealt with everything very, very well. And the fact that they're you know, chasing down a Europa League spot, which if Man United continue the way they are, they'll probably come sixth. The fact that they're chasing that down and on course for whether it's sixth or seventh in the league, and, you know, they'll get into Europe again in that case next year, that is, you know, full, full credit to them for that. And, you know, well done. They've been awesome this year. They're an extremely... Hard team to play against, difficult to break down, very um, physical, good in on set piece situations. Yes. I say West Ham over any other team in the Premier League is more physical. The physicality is extremely strong. If if Declan Rice comes to Chelsea, do you think uh, West Ham keep it up? Yeah, I think Declan Rice would be a big loss. It, it's all going to be about the recruitment and who they're able to get to fill in in those in that sort of position. Um, but they're going to make it hard for teams to get. Listen, what I'll say is eventually Declan Rice is going to leave because what's going to happen is he's already rejecting a contract. He rejected a third one from West Ham. And I think he clearly wants to be playing Champions League football year in, year out. So he's going to want to leave. So the thing with West Ham is, do you, you know, lower the, okay, 150 million. I don't know if anyone's going to pay 150 million. So do you lower that price a bit to get the money for him now? Or do you wait it out and, you know, you're selling him for less in a few years or you run the risk of him leaving on a free transfer? So that'll be, I think, the, the, the thing with West Ham the debate, I guess, because they can say he's untouchable, but if he keeps rejecting contracts, then you run the risk of him leaving on a free transfer. So so we'll see. It'll be a big loss whenever he leaves, but then it'll be down to the recruitment. They've been very good this year, and it'll be a tough game Sunday. What can we expect from West Ham then? How did Chelsea beat them? Yeah, so I think you'll see kind of what you saw in the reverse fixture. They, they, they defend deeper, hard to break hard to break down and then it's the the counterattacking situations and the set pieces in particular someone like Michael Antonio that can provide a real real threat i i think the key for chelsea i think you need kai havertz on the pitch here in terms of linking play up in midfield coming a bit deeper combining with the likes of Jorginho Kante, Loftus-Cheek, whoever plays in the in those midfield areas, Mason Mount too. And I think even in this game, I wonder if you look 
at a bit more of a 3-5-2 for Chelsea, if you drop Mason Mount into midfield and you play more with number eights to overload West Ham in midfield and you play with two strikers in Timo Werner and Kai Havertz, even because then Kai Havertz can come out wide combined with Reese James or Cesar Azpilicueta, Mason Mount. I I actually like that. Timo Werner and Kai Havertz as our two strikers. Yeah, I wonder if that's the way you go if you're Thomas Tuchel. You try to put more bodies in that midfield area because um, if you can play quickly through midfield, draw a center back out of position, open space up, then you can cause problems. So, Because even I feel two deliveries from wide areas, it has to be very precise because West Ham are a strong team in the air. So I think you'll look to kind of overload those midfield areas. Okay. What is the significance of this game in terms of the table? I mean, Chelsea should be fine. Top four, we've been saying this. Arsenal won today, Tottenham drew. So the situation right now is we are two points ahead of Arsenal with two games in hand. We are four points ahead of Spurs with two games in hand. Man United are done in terms of top four. It's game over for them. And obviously one of those teams can pass us. We only need to come in the top four. But the key is Arsenal and Tottenham need, like they play each other which means both of them can't get maximum points in the next five games. So for Chelsea, you're looking at you're yeah, you're looking at nine yeah, you're looking at nine points. You're looking at nine points in the next five games. Sorry, seven games. Nine points in the next seven games clinches top four with our superior goal difference also. So it's it's game over. Uh uh, if Chelsea wins these next few games, that that doesn't. And uh, Chelsea should be fine. Let's talk about Chelsea versus Man United now. So obviously Chelsea have this big game coming up as well. It's, uh, it's not an easy way to finish. I think they had their easy games closer to the beginning of the second run of this, uh, of the winter term, call it, I guess that, of the second leg, really. What are your thoughts on Eric Ten Hag becoming the new Man United manager for next season? Do you think there's anybody who can really fix that situation? Well, it's going to take a little bit of fixing, that's for sure. And, you know, we could talk about the manager, but the ownership issue is a whole other debate. Not even a debate. So... This is one step, though, for Man United. It was always going to be Eric Ten Hag or Mauricio Pochettino. Two managers that I think suit the what the style Man United want. What is the style Man Okay, I have a question for you. What's the style Man United want? Well, I think, I think it's opposite of what Conte would have given them or what Mourinho gave them. I think it's it wants to be more of a possession-based, high-pressing team. I think that's what they want at Man United. Okay. And um, I think Eric Ten Hag is, suits that based on what you've seen at Ajax. Obviously, he did a wonderful job at Ajax. Those teams were incredible to watch. You look at the 2018-19 Ajax team that was rolling with the likes of Donny van de Beek and... Matthias Delit and Hakim Ziyech and Dusan Tadic. Incredible, incredible team. 
made it all the way to the semifinals, should have made the final, but those IX teams have been a lot of fun. And you can see why Man United went this direction. And I think it's a good appointment. The thing with Eric Ten Hag is this is a big step, obviously. Like, it's one thing to implement your style in the Eredivisie and for it to come off. It's another thing in the Premier League when you have the likes of Jurgen Klopp and Thomas Tuchel and Pep Guardiola. It's another thing when you have the strength of this league. And, you know, obviously those players at Man United aren't in the greatest of mindsets currently. And it's a very difficult locker room uh, at the moment. So I think there's adding on to your point. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you there, Adam, but adding on to the point, like you, you mentioned the, the pressure and the, the confidence in the locker room. I completely agree. I think there's the pressure of the other players to always try their best so that Ronaldo doesn't get upset at them. And then Ronaldo just feels like he has this burden to carry of carrying this team, right? Which he realistically he does, but, um, that's why, that's why I asked you that question of style, because I, I'm really not sure if that, that is their style. Cause I, I don't think they have one. I think their style is literally get the ball to Ronaldo. Well, that's the thing. They've lacked identity under Olegana Solskjaer, uh, under um, Ralph Ragnick, where I still struggle to figure out exactly what they try to do under Ralph Ragnick. It's more the same with Ole. So, and the team just looks dead and buried, right? So, but I think Eric Ten Hag got a very clear philosophy and identity in those IX teams. And that will be the key immediately at Man United. Even if the results don't come right away, have a clear identity within that team and then you can work towards the results and i mean for man united fans hopefully it comes off i think it's a positive appointment i think mercio pacentino maybe some fans would have preferred because of the experience he has in the premier league but i think this is a very promising manager and one that was really fun at ajax and We'll see at Man United. It's a really difficult situation to come into. So it'll be tough for Eric Ten Hag. But I think it's a positive appointment. We'll see next year. Hopefully, man. Hopefully one of these managers can do it. The only person I'm thinking of that can possibly fix this situation, I've lost all hope, is Sir Alex Ferguson. But, yeah. How does Chelsea ensure they get the three points? Yeah, I mean, Man United defensively, they conceded another awful goal this morning. and Against Arsenal, may I add. Yeah, and I think, again, I think that, that back line put them under as much pressure as possible. I think Chelsea press them as much as possible defensively, force them into turnovers in their own half and win the ball higher up the pitch. And I think that's, that's, that's what you want against Man United. And I think where Man United's strengths lie is when they're able to get the ball into Bruno Fernandes or Cristiano Ronaldo. And then the transitional opportunities can come with the pace of Sancho, Alanga, and whatnot. And then Ronaldo can get up the pitch and in the box. So I think the, the press is very key for, for Chelsea in terms of stopping 
the balls into Bruno Fernandes, into Ronaldo. You want as much pressure on Man United when they are playing out from the back, make it so difficult for them. And defensively, try again, one, I think Man United have been so poor just in terms of like tactically and positionally and the amount of times fullbacks, center backs are getting drawn out of position. So even Arsenal today, you saw one, two touches in midfield in around that 18-yard box just to draw a center back out of position. Man United have conceded some really poor goals just to put that back line under pressure, and especially with Kai Havertz in there, dropping in, combining with Mason Mount, quick one-two touch football to draw Manchester United out of position. Manchester United have been so poor, and the work from their front players off the ball has been horrible. And it's it's led to, I think, the back line getting drawn out of position a lot. So I think Chelsea can really, if 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 Chelsea are anywhere near their best, they should beat Man United. I fully agree. I think this should be an easy match for Chelsea. I think Man United have a long ways to come under the new manager, and it's it's not looking like an uh, for now at least. Like with Ralph Ragnit, it wasn't an uphill, it wasn't an uphill progress. It was pretty stagnant and down sometimes. But we'll see what Man United can do. I think Chelsea should have this in the bag. Uh, I do want to add to your point, though, with Man United and... yeah, I just want to compare Man United and Arsenal here really quickly. Because at the beginning of the season, I'd say Arsenal were... Remember, like, people were talking about bottom of the basement with <laughs> Norwich versus Arsenal games. Like, um, I think Mikel Arteta was a great manager. And it's not fair to compare Arsenal and Man United because what Arsenal needed... They had identity, right? They had identity going into it. Mikel Arteta, what he did is he established chemistry. And that is what Arsenal needed. These young, I, I watched these young boys play, right? And it's it's incredible. It's honestly, uh, like they, they have such love for each other. Everyone on the pitch, Martinelli, Odegaard, uh, Smith-Rowe, Saka, even the keeper, Ramsdale, right? It's just a, a big, like, love for the game and love for each other. And I think Man United really do not have that. And even before identity, you need to establish chemistry. You can't play a team sport if you don't have a team, right? I think I think that's what the new manager needs to do. And realistically, the, yeah. Yeah, and that's a good point. Because what I will say about Arsenal, and I remember we'd always say this too, I always felt there was a style and and an identity Arteta was trying to to engrave into that Arsenal team. Now, did everything come off? Did he make mistakes? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, he did make mistakes along the way, right? And he probably still will continue to as a young manager. But the identity I felt the style you see what he was trying to engrave and i think that's that's now come off this year and especially like the back half of the year you see an improvement and if they were to get this top 4 it'd be you know as much as i hate to say it a very good achievement for arsenal and credit to what um mikel arteta has done absolutely all right so with that said is there anything else you'd like to add be, uh before these upcoming Premier League matches? No, I'm good. Uh, go Chelsea. 
Go Chelsea. I can say that to uh, Chelsea for uh, West Ham and Man United also because I don't want them in the uh, fourth place race against Arsenal. But yes, we will be back next week to recap Chelsea's matches against West Ham and Man United and preview Chelsea's Premier League match against Everton. So with that said, thank you for listening, everybody, and peace.